gentlemen, uh, it's my privilege to present to you uh, Bob Foster. In a recent um, communication that he sent out, he said he just turned 81. Um, if you want to see what a man of God looks like that's a finisher, you're going to get to see a live one right here tonight. And he is alive and well. So uh, it's a privilege to have Bob Foster come and share with us. Bob? Thank you. Thank you, Winston. Privilege. Uh, I'm honored to be here. Uh, of course, this is my home. I live here. And the uh, last 40 years, uh, I'm a full-time Christian minister. Um, called to ride a horse, and that's my pulpit. I don't ride horses much anymore. Uh, my knees gave out, but what a wonderful pulpit to have. Uh, we don't take horses out on rides. We take people and you use horses as uh, the platform. We don't serve meals. We serve people meals. Uh, we don't make beds. Uh, we provide hospitality for people. We're in the people business. And what a wonderful privilege it is. As Winston was recounting uh, some of the wonderful stories of integrity, I thought that 40 years ago this month, I sent into uh, the state of Colorado the liquor license for this ranch and said that we no longer needed it. And I thought that was the end of it. And about two weeks later, a very delightful lady called and said, uh, are you sure you want to do this? This is worth a great deal of money. And here in Jefferson County, we, we are, we're down at the very bottom. Jefferson County is a little bit like the state of Illinois, with Denver being Chicago, and we're way down there in the bottom delta. And uh, this is the end, our property is the end of Jefferson County. And so I said, no, we don't need the liquor license. We're not going to be uh, having a bar here. And she said, you do not realize the implications of this. And I said, well, I probably don't. But uh, <laughs> the decision has been made. Uh, the next week, I had a gentleman from up on uh, 285 come down and said, I understand, and I have no idea how he knew it, that uh, we had turned our license in. And he said, I'm trying to get one, and there's only so many here in the county, and uh, I'm offering you $500. And uh, he pulled out of his wallet, and he had five $100 bills. And he said, no one needs to know this, just you and me, uh, if you'll just transfer that license over to me, which was permissible to do. And I said, no. I said, I've turned it in, and that's the end of it, and I don't need any money from it. Uh, well, I don't know what he did or was involved, but uh, a couple of days later, another gentleman came. I found out later that <laughs> they were partners, but they, the second man didn't acknowledge he knew the first man, and he offered me a thousand dollars. You know, uh, what's your price? You know, how high do you have to go? Uh, and I thought, wow, a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars. Turned him down. And uh, we took possession of the ranch, and we were getting cranked up here. And I had a lovely car drive. The road didn't come the way you came. It used to come right down the hill here and across the bridge. And uh, this beautiful car came down, and I don't know what I was doing uh, over in the corral, but I saw it, and so I walked over. And this was another businessman who was buying some property up here by Pine and Buffalo. And uh, he doubled it. Wow, what is your price? You know, what, what are you willing to sell out for, you know? And uh, no one needs to know it. Cash, all I had to do was to sign my name on that license over to him and uh, $2,000, 40 years ago. But then the bottom dropped out because First National of Denver heard that we weren't going to have a liquor license, and they called in the first mortgage, $100,000. And uh, we had put everything we had into this, and uh, we're operating on a very thin margin for sure. Uh, 
and now we had no first mortgage. And graciously, they said that we will give you 60 days. <laughs> and, um, and the reason was, as I went up to Denver and talked with them, that no one can make it in this business without liquor. Uh, that's where the money is made. And the predecessor that we bought this from, that was his margin of profit, uh, was what he sold there at the bar. Oh, so I thought, man, I need some prayer help on this one. And I had a uh, classmate uh, from college days who was the head veterinarian over at Kansas State, uh, Bob Tossig, Dr. Tossig. And I called Bob, and I just said, I appreciate your prayers. I said, and he'd be interested because he's a Colorado boy. His whole family grew up in the mountains uh, uh, above Glenwood Springs. And so uh, Bob said, oh, that's no problem. I said, thanks, Bob, but <laughs> uh, you're over there in Manhattan, and uh, you're a veterinarian, but uh, you uh, are not faced to have to raise 100000 No, he said, what I mean is my daddy just sold the water rights on our ranch up here in the mountains to the city of Denver for several millions of dollars, and he's asking us boys how to invest it. So I'll just give him a call. And a couple weeks later, why, uh, a fellow by the name of Don Kennedy and I drove up there to the ranch and uh, he said, how much you need? I told him what the situation was and uh, he wrote out a check for $100,000 at 4% interest. You can't lose when you go with God. And before that happened, I kept thinking, you know, $2,000, man, nobody will know about it. That under the table money, huh? So easy and yet so wrong. We have a little expression here at the ranch called ua. Maybe Bob mentioned it to you. Uh, as I tell the fellows, it's, uh, it's an old Latin word. Uh, means great, terrific, wow, get with it. Uh, it's a verb, ua, uoris, uorit, and uh, so I uh, was privileged to be speaking in a Presbyterian church down in uh, Mississippi, and I had to have a, a gown on, and I was up there in the pulpit, and so the pastor said, just as I was ready to get up to speak that Sunday morning, he said, Bob, why don't you tell him a little bit about the ranch? And then I was on. So I got up, and all I could think of was, ooh-ah! Well, I didn't stop to think that that's not the kind of word you use in a Presbyterian service when you're wearing a gown and look like uh, the Pope or something. And uh, so I, uh, I did, went ahead anyway. And I told them what I just told you. And I told this Presbyterian crowd there in that little Presbyterian church in Mississippi that uh, the first time that we probably hear it is on Monday morning when people take their first horseback ride and they haven't been doing it for a while and they get off and they grab their uh, Falkland Islands back here, and uh, they say, ooh, and take three or four steps and say, ah. Uh. The last time we hear it here at the ranch is when they leave, and we give them the bill, and they look down there at the bottom right-hand corner, and they readjust their glasses and look a little closer, and they say, ooh. And Bob and I stand there and say, uh, uh. So for 40 years, this has been an ooh-ah experience. So I want to hear a little ooh-ah to wake you up, some of you guys. And by the way, if you do go to sleep, that's all right. I'm used to that. Uh, I'd suggest you settle back a little bit and uh, kind of get your neck set. And that way you'll keep from snapping it. And... Uh, or one of your buddies can just kind of put his arm around you and keep you from breaking your neck. So on the count of three, okay, a big ooh-ah. One, two, three. Wow. I'm a newly met, uh, newlywed. Uh, May 19th. Mary and I were married for 53 years. She really was the inspiration of the ranch because she was given to hospitality. Uh, she loved people. She loved her family. She loved to cook. And so together as a team, why, uh, at that time I was administrative vice president of the Navigators down at Glen Erie in charge of the operations there and 
throughout the United States. And I told Lauren Sani that, uh, you know, I'll do it for two or three years, but this is not, I'm not a desk guy. Uh, and so I looked around for ranches and finally found Lost Valley here, finally went up for sale. And uh, Marion uh, was the cook and I was the office and uh, John Mancini was our wrangler and uh, we had a couple young girls that took care of the cabins and Marion said give me a couple guys to help these big pots and pans and they'll do the dishes and so uh, Pete Angiers and Tommy Cayuna uh, had worked for me in our plumbing business out in California um, they came and that was the way we did it and it was a great time Great marriage until 10 years ago, the doctor said, Bob, I, I hate to tell you this, but Marion has Alzheimer. And so I purposed in my heart that I would be her caretaker. I would not put her away or get somebody else, hire somebody to watch over her. And to see a gal who was so brilliant in her mind and so sharp in her personality and just deteriorate and go down and so that I think she still knew me at the very end and about a year before she finally passed away five years ago uh, I had my tears and cried and at that time I said Lord are you going to take her Is this, is this the way you want it to be? But he did, and I submitted to his will. And so when we had the memorial service and the family was all gathered around, for me it was a time of rejoicing. It was the home going of a queen. It's hard after 53 years of wonderful marriage and not in pride, but just in all honesty, I was faithful to her all those years, and she to me. And a wonderful time together with three boys and a daughter, a wonderful sex life, although after about the first year there was no sex, no intimacy in that God and sense of loving each other physically for four years. She just, she didn't know how to respond. There just was nothing there. I was in Singapore, and so after she died, I should say this, I just felt, well, God, you've got something else for me, and so uh, Bob was coming along to take over the ranch, and his brother-in-law was here, Bill, and uh, I just felt maybe God had something for me uh, in the way of missions. I love missions, and particularly I love Asia and China in particular. And I was in Singapore, and I was sitting by the pool, and I decided that morning I would just... Uh, reads uh, the book of 1 Corinthians and I was just reading along and enjoying it on a wonderful Sunday morning and I came to the seventh chapter where Paul says I wish you were like I am single and I paused and I thought well that's where I am uh, and I wasn't anxious to get married again I wasn't thinking about it there was nobody on the horizon and uh, etc and then I began to study that seventh chapter and the next thing three or four hours had gone by went right on through the lunch hour and I came up about six, with six or seven principles there in the seventh chapter first Corinthians that God spoke to my heart about that I was probably going to remain single and from that moment on I had perfect peace and release but then along came this little Swedish girl that I had dated in college 60 years ago. I'd remind you guys, don't forget the girls you used to date in college. <laughs> wow. The problem was she, she fell in love with a guy who was the big basketball player. His, name was, his nickname was Moose, Moose Painter. And um, little old me, I went on the bench as far as she was concerned and uh, they got married and I hadn't seen her in 55 years and uh, just a year ago I, our paths crossed and so last May 19th 
wow, I don't know how it happened. I was so innocent, but all of a sudden I was standing at the altar. <laughs> You've heard about sheep being led to the slaughter, you know? And I don't know, it was her blue eyes or her little blonde hair or that little Swedish tenacity. <laughs> Some of you know her. And uh, she's a little bundle of something or other. And uh, I was standing there. And uh, the preacher was saying, uh, Bob, do you take uh, Bev? And by the way, the preacher was my son. And uh, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> when your youngest son marries you, uh, he's a preacher boy down in Clearwater, Florida. He's a great kid. Uh, I probably did it because of economics. I knew it would be pretty cheap. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for everything that went on. I won't tell you about that. But uh, uh, next thing I know, I, he was saying, uh, Dad, do you uh, take her? And all you have to do is say, I do. And I had done it. I did it. I doed it. Ten months ago. Integrity is, I say, I do. And Winston referred to that wonderful chapter in Psalms. If you say, I do, that's it. Till death do us part. And I know some of you guys sitting here have gone through the heartache, the tragedy, and all the rest of divorce for whatever reasons. A lot of you young guys, this is something that's coming up. One of these days you will. And I want you to know that when you stand there, say, I do, until God takes one or the other. What a privilege. I've been assigned the topic by Mark and others, integrity in your marriage. And I would like to take two scriptures tonight and look with you on there in your notes, if you have your notes there for the message tonight. One is the fifth chapter of Proverbs. And the other one is the fifth chapter of Ephesians. So let's turn first of all to what Solomon has to say. The first nine chapters of Proverbs are his sharing of his heart through Proverbs to his son. He compiled the entire book, most of the book, but uh, the fifth chapter he starts off, My Son. As the notes indicate, the first two verses are the introduction. Verses 3 down through 6 or 7 is bitter honey when you're fooling around loose with sex with the strange woman, the foreign woman, the woman who is not your wife. For you younger guys, no sex until marriage. Make a commitment to that. It isn't an experiment. God doesn't allow for, let's give it a try and see how it works, see if we match and all that sort of stuff. Save it. Oh, what a joy. If you can go at the altar and have never known sexually a woman, and if you have the privilege of marrying a virgin, that is God's plan. But here in the opening verses of the fifth chapter, Solomon says, I want you to listen to my wisdom. I want you to bow your ear to my understanding so that you can regard discretion and that your lips may keep knowledge. In other words, listen to your dad. Listen to your elders. Listen to your mentors. Listen to what God has to say, not how you feel. If it feels good, do it. No. <laughs> Probably just the opposite. You'll hear it over and over again in the next, what, 40 hours or so. Live on the basis of the principles of the Word of God. That's integrity. Let this be your rule. And so he opens right up with verse 3. And a picture of this woman, her lips drop like honeycomb. Her mouth is smoother than oil. And boy, that sounds so good, huh? 
and sex as it's presented in the ads. And Do you have any desire to be discriminating in the movies you watch? Not only in the theater, but at home, in the pay review. When you go to get a magazine, the temptation that, to look at those magazines with the center section. I told the fellows the other night, several years ago, I had to quit going up to the swimming pool in the summertime. I just can't handle the way that gals are dressed or undressed in swimming togs today. I, I suppose I haven't been up to the pool when people are up there for six or eight years. Now you may be strong enough, you may be spiritual enough, you may be godly enough, but I'm not. And I know that The flesh is weak. Second Timothy, was it 5.22? No, 2, uh, 2.22. Flee youthful lusts. And youthful lusts still hit a guy at 81. I remember having a Bible study with a bunch of sailors in Long Beach, California during the Korean conflict. And uh, so this one fellow had to leave a little early, so he gave me his study and his application. Uh, you know, east of the old time navigator. What does it say? What does it say to me? What does it say I don't understand? <laughs> and what does it say elsewhere? And what does it say to me was the application. Those are, that's basically the heart of Bible study, huh? What does it say? What does it say I don't understand? What does it say elsewhere? What does it say to me? So he gave it to me. And the Bible study was over, and uh, we were living up in Glendale, and so I got in my car. And I stopped to get some gas, and, and those were the days when they filled it up, and you sat in the car, and they took care of you. And, and so I remembered this, and I opened it up, and I don't remember tonight what the Bible study was about, except his application. I will look at no woman below the neck. Boy, when a United States young Navy guy walking the streets of Long Beach, California can get that kind of an application. I think he's got the possibilities of having integrity, huh? Down the line of ways when he falls in love with his wife. You see, because her end, verse 4, is bitter as wormwood. And that's bitterness. That's gall. That's what they offered Jesus on the cross. Sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. Notice the descending there. Wormwood, two-edged sword, death, hell. And I don't care how delight. And I, I know that Satan is the master craftsman who knows to how to make sin so attractive, and particularly sex. And sex is the most wonderful thing in marriage. There's nothing boring about it. There's nothing wrong. It's God's idea. But outside of marriage, it's absolutely wrong, forbidden. Interesting, in the Old Testament, you're caught in illicit sex with stone to death. Guys went free. Interesting how that all works out. But he doesn't go free. He pays the price, probably a bigger price than being stoned to death. And so, in verse 6, it says, lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life. In other words, stop and think about it. Ponder, and most of us, you know, it's so exciting, we don't stop to think of the consequences. Or what does the Bible have to say? Oh, I love what Paul says. Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense, both toward God and toward man. He exercises his self. Acts 24, 16. So then he comes back and says, Now hear me therefore, O ye children, depart not from the words of my mouth. He set it up in verses 1 and 2, but, you know, a good teacher is one who repeats. Repetition. Say it over and over and over again. That's what he's doing here. And now, having pictured this woman, 
Now he pictures the guy. Remove thy way far from her, and come not near the door of her house. And the word removed in the Hebrew, as I understand it, is run, flee, get out of there. And yet, what is it, gentlemen, about the flesh? <laughs> we just hang around. It's tantalizing. We get intoxicated. We know we shouldn't. We do. Now notice, if you're going to do it, if you want to disobey God, you want to disobey the Holy Spirit working in your conscience, there's five things that you're going to face. You'll give your honor to others. You'll give your years to the cruel. In other words, the best of your life is eaten. You'll pay the price. Verse 10, strangers will be filled with your wealth. Thy labors will be in the house of an alien. And thou wilt mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed with AIDS. Syphilis was the word that we used when I was a young man. Now you say, I, I don't play that way. Well, this is what God says. Pretty strong language, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that the Bible, written by holy men of old, led by the Holy Spirit, God's Word, is so plain. He doesn't mince. In other words, you take David. It doesn't make him, you know, some kind of a great hero. Yet God says, you know, here, this is a man after my own heart. But he paints the sin so that we years later can learn a lesson. But gentlemen, are we willing to learn the lesson of a Bathsheba? When you should be out to battle, you're sitting in your backyard looking over the fence at your neighbor's wife. That's the lesson to be learned. One of them, anyway. And you say in verse 12, how I hated instruction. Oh, how my heart despised reproof. I haven't obeyed the voice of my teachers, my dad, my Sunday school teacher, my pastor. I have inclined my ear to them that instructed me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. In other words, the nation of Israel no longer holds you with a man of integrity. Your reputation is gone. Whew. But you know, that's not the end of this chapter. <laughs> because beginning in verse 15, he pictures the beautiful picture of married life, as God would have it. And whereas it's bitter honey, now it's sweet water. Drink waters out of your own cistern. And that's God's way of describing a beautiful marriage, a relationship. I believe a little later on, he's talking perhaps a little bit about the male semen that you hold only for the one that you love. Running waters out of your own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad in rivers of waters in the street. In other words, your testimony of a marriage. This is the end of side one. Please turn the tape over for side two. Talking perhaps a little bit about the male semen that you hold only for the one that you love. Running until God takes us home. Or even better yet tonight, until he comes again. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be wonderful if the rapture of the church would take place? That's one reason I live up here at 7,200 feet. I want to get a head start. <laughs> but if he doesn't come... I want to live that kind of a life. Let them be only thine own, and not for these strange women who are with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of thy youth, the wife of 81 years old guy. You know, verse 19, and particularly for some of you younger guys, wow. 
That's pretty explicit. And that's the wonderful thing about the Word of God. Unashamed in its frankness. Have you read the uh, Song of Solomon? You know, you almost are embarrassed to read it. But this is the way God wants it. If you want to be God's man, He says, hey, this is how beautiful a love relation is. And it's really a picture of Christ in the church. Of you and Christ. Look at verse 19. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished, almost drunken, always with her love. Gentlemen, are you still in love tonight with your wife as you were when you stood there at the altar of that wedding night? Huh? Really? I mean, you know, let's get rid of some of the smoke that we throw out at each other, you know. Oh, yeah, things are great. Are they? Really? I'll tell you, it wasn't easy. Even though we'd been married for over 50 years, now to see that body, anything of what it used to be, no response to kisses, to hugs, to caresses. Some of you guys, now your wife is not what she used to be. I had a fellow here this earlier on this same weekend. The day he came up here, he put his wife in the hospital. She has incurable cancer. They opened her up a few weeks ago and sewed her back up and said, there's nothing we can do. My... Mother was a very sickly woman for most of my youth. She passed away when Mary and I were been married, uh, let's see, 43, uh, two years. I think that she asked God to take her home because she knew that because of TB and other things, she could never hold her, her grandchildren. I only had to live five years with a wife suffering. My father lived 17 years. You guys know what I'm talking about, huh? And if you don't, it could be that way. And so he says in verse 20, a question that you've got to answer just between you and God. Why wilt thou, my son, be ravished, same word as he uses up in verse 19, with the strange woman, and embrace the bosom of that foreign woman? You see, the whole point of integrity in marriage is to bring us back. Bring us back. Bring us back. And if we are trusting in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and we have been bought with that blood. And I've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things are passing away and all things are becoming new. Then he says one of the very first things. That you get that marriage back to where it was with all the excitement and the love. And a lot of you guys need to go back and put your arms around her and let her know that you love her. She'll probably faint. She'll probably wonder what happened up there at Lost Valley. Go ahead and tell her. Did you do anything for her at Valentine's Day? Do you take her out on dates yet? Are you ravished with her love? Ah, Bob, she's cold. She doesn't want me anymore. It could be because you're so busy. And you've so been engrossed with the love of your business and the love of making money. And the love of the car. And the love of getting ahead. That she has decided that there's other loves in your life besides her. But you know, as you can see in the notes, verses 21 through 23, doesn't really make too much difference what the community thinks or the church. It does, but look at this. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth 
all of his goings. You see, in verse 6 it says, Ponder the path of life, for her ways are unstable. Ponder is the idea, stop and give it some serious consideration, evaluation. Don't just pass it off, because God is pondering. He's seen. And every hotel room, and every situation that you've been in, or you're going to be in, God knows all about it. He's omniscient. He knows. And he says, Bob, your iniquities shall take a hold of you, and you will be held with the cords of your sin. And you'll die without instruction, and in the greatness of your folly, you'll go astray. If you have ears to hear, if you're a teenager tonight, <laughs> this is the Word of God. Not, this isn't what Bob Foster's saying. It doesn't really make any difference. That's why Acts 17:11. Now search the Scriptures and see what Bob is saying is true. This is God's stuff. And if you think this is heavy, read chapters 6 and 7 tonight in the, in the confines of your cabin. He gets more explicit. Why? Because I think omniscient God knew that in the 21st century, this would be the bugaboo for a lot of Christian guys. And it isn't always the woman of the red light district, the prostitute, the gal who was out looking for her man and for sex. Oftentimes it's a very wonderful Christian gal who seemingly is so innocent and so almost naive and oh she wouldn't be that kind of a woman well let's listen let's turn over to the fifth chapter of uh, the book of Ephesians and the bottom half of the notes if there is to be integrity how should it look <laughs> what should it look like Five eighteen is where we're going to start. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And now, in the next three verses, he he tells us how you'll know if you're filled with the Spirit. Not necessarily with speaking in tongues, or spiritual utterances, or waving of the hands. But notice. First of all, you'll speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You'll sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Number two, you'll give thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And number three, you'll submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Now that isn't all the evidences that you're filled. But right there, Paul says to the Ephesian church, here's one of the criterions for knowing. And then he goes ahead in verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And so Roman numeral number one, your place in the marriage is to lead. And you notice there's a blank, and that's where I want you to fill in. Your wife is to, and the word is, follow. Not with <laughs> a lead rope around her neck or a chain in her nose. But when she sees her husband walking before God in a God-fearing manner, she wants to follow. You have become the pace setter. Now your wife may be smarter than you are. She may be more educated than you are. She may be a, a, a more of a breadwinner than you are. She may be a lot of things that you're not. But biblically, you are the head of the home. And the wife wants to follow. She wants to, we see it here at the ranch. We're far more concerned of the guys that we have on our staff. And by June or May, we will have around 30 men here. Right now, we have about half of that. But we make sure that the men of the ranch are the kind of guys that the gals will look up to and respect and want to follow. By the way, we'll also have about 30 gals 
pray with us because, boy, we need staff for this year. Uh, getting harder and harder to get young people who want to work. And ranch life is hard work. I think the affluency of our society, there's so many options for young people today. Uh, travel, uh, summer school, oh, on and on and on. And uh, our witness here at the ranch, and that's what this ranch is all about, it's, it's a ministry. We've got to make money. <laughs> Graciously, last year, God enabled us to have somewhere around two and a half million gross. And that enabled us to pay the bills and do some fixing up of cabins and things like that. But we're here not for the money, not for the salary, not for the income, not for the profit. We're here that people might come to know Jesus Christ. And we pray that God will send us 70% of our clientele be non-Christian. I don't think I'd stay too long if it was just a Christian ranch. Now, we need enough Christians to act as salt and, uh, and light. In fact, one of our verses is Matthew 5:18. Let your light so shine before men that they'll see what? Your good works, not your good words. They'll see how we handle the horses, how we feed, how we take care of their children, how we make the beds. And then they start asking questions. And the gals here respect when we got men, godly men, men with a heart sold out for Jesus. Number two, you are to love. Your wife is to respect and respond. You can write those words in, respect and respond. Verses 25, 28, and 33. Love your wife. Love your wife. Love your wife. <laughs> wow. What a privilege, huh? Just to tell I love you. And then to demonstrate it that you love her. And if you do, she'll respect you. She'll respond to you. She'll be your helpmeet. I don't know what Peter... It is interesting that Peter is the one who talks about this. Uh, in his letter, the uh, third chapter of First Peter, he calls the woman the weaker vessel. Now that doesn't mean that she's inferior at all. Many times, they're much. My wife, Marion, was much superior to me in most every way. But she wanted to respect a man who would lead her in the ways that. He felt God wanted them to go. Number three, your biblical responsibility is to provide. Your wife is to multiply. That's something we can't do. We're not screwed together that way. Thank goodness they are, huh? Sometimes God doesn't give them that privilege. But basically... And that isn't the only thing that a woman's supposed to do, by the way. <laughs> but we are to provide. You know, there's a scripture there. If you don't provide for your own household and your own family, you're worse than an infidel. Now, I'm sure the question will come up, as it did in the previous conference. How about if women work and the man stays home and takes care of the house and does the cleaning and, and all the rest? I don't believe biblically it, it, that's scripture at all. Now you can read the 31st chapter of Proverbs on the picture of a godly woman. And that woman knew how to make money. She knew how to buy land and sell it. She knew how to make merchandise, a cloth, and sell it. And she wasn't just standing always before the hot stove or changing diapers. She was a versatile woman. And you want your wife to have those opportunities. But basically, it's the privilege of a man to be the breadwinner. And the wife, her privilege to bear children. And by the way, bearing children, so oftentimes Paul says, fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Why? Because you're the head of the home. Your son and daughter are looking to you for leadership. Number five, 
excuse, excuse me, number four. <laughs> you are to praise her. Proverbs 31, 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her, her husband also does that and praises her. Have you spent much time praising your wife? Thanking her for doing the laundry? The meals she prepares? For taking care of you? Just praising her for making the home your castle? That's one of our privileges. And so as we come to the end, I look down at the bottom sentence and I've written there, do you have problems with this arrangement? Biblical as it is? And here's the kicker. What your wife is to be and to do for you, you are to be and to do. But I've left out the key phrase. I did put an exclamation mark there. But the key phrase is, you are to be and to do as unto the Lord. What do I mean by that? Let's look back up there. You are to follow. You are to respect and to respond to the Lord. You are to multiply for His glory. You are to glow. We didn't talk about your wife. And the number four, you are to praise and she is to glow. What do I mean by glow? It's that inner person. First Peter chapter 3 verse 4. That as she walks with the Lord, there's something that just radiates from her life. God says that's our privilege as we walk with the Lord. We do it for Him. You remember the little chorus we used to sing? Maybe you never did. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And uh, I was thinking about that uh, this last week when I put these notes together, or maybe it was last week. I was thinking of uh, a great song, uh, soloist for Billy Graham. And he stands up that, what is he, six foot four, five, George Beverly Shea. And when his son was just a little tyke, they'd have him at the Crusades and they'd put him on a chair. And uh, George and his son would sing it. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine. That's what I want. I want my light to shine in the marketplace. My pulpit is Lost Valley Ranch. We do not talk about Jesus Christ. We do not have Bible signs all over the place. None of our staff are to say a word about their Christian belief until they're asked. And when people see Jesus Christ, they don't know that but they see something radiant. They see the smiles. They see the service. They see the love. And they want to know. And if it's integrity in the marketplace, gentlemen, it starts in the marriage. huh? But before the marriage, it starts because David fed Israel from the integrity of his what? Heart. As you think in your heart, so are you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Keep your heart with all diligence. This is a heart relationship. We're going to pray. Don't know where you are in your marriage. If things are tough, <laughs> man, you're among guys that love you tonight. This is a great weekend to do a lot of evaluating, thinking through. You know, I feel a little bit <laughs> like a guy who throws a hand grenade and then runs. Because the reason I'm dressed this way is that my wife, Bev, is waiting in the car and we're going to the springs, and first thing in the morning, I catch a plane for Atlanta. I have 
a dozen fellows and girls to interview in Greenville, Chattanooga, and Birmingham. And so forgive me for not staying around for, but all these speakers, you know, they're much better to answer some of the questions that I've raised tonight among you. Uh, that's why they're here, to answer my, the problems you're gonna throw at me. So throw them at them, okay? And uh, I feel bad about speaking and then running. It's like a salesman, you know, that makes a pitch and then disappears. Uh, and I'd love to hang around, but I think you understand. Give a, have a wonderful night. If you have any problems, as Bob probably told you, why well, let the office know. We've tried to make the cabins as nice as possible, and if you want to start a fire, uh, make sure you start it in the fireplace. Uh, <laughs> and if the toilet facilities don't work, we've got abundance of trees around here. And uh, when we first bought the ranch, we had outhouses behind. Nothing was winterized in 1960. And uh, one of the mistakes we made is we got rid of all those out of houses. Young people today know, need to know what it is to sit on a cold two-holer <laughs> with a, a Sears and Roebuck catalog down there on the floor and that little can of white stuff uh, over there on the side. You've missed it. <laughs> no, you haven't. Uh, we're glad we have inside plumbing. Well, let's have a word of prayer, shall we, and commit it to the Lord. Lord. Many of us have stood at the altar and have said, as best we knew from the integrity of our heart, I do. And perhaps we have welched on that. Perhaps circumstances and situations and we felt, well, I did say it, but things have changed. I pray for a bunch of these young guys here tonight, sons, friends. This is something they're looking forward to. And I pray that this will be of help to them. That early in their life, they'll build their sex life, their emotions, not upon what they hear in the streets today or on TV, but upon the principles of the Word of God. May they go God's way. May there be integrity in that future marriage. And now, as we go to our cabins and for a night of rest, perhaps some need to get down beside their bed or out underneath the trees and say, Lord, I confess my sin to you. I know that you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Lord, I haven't been the man of God that I should be, not only in actions, but in my mind, in my thought life. But tonight, on this Saturday night here at Lost Valley, I ask for cleansing. I ask that you will purify this weakened vessel and help me in the days ahead to be all that a holy God can make a sinner saved by grace. In the name of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. <laughs>